So, Mark. Yes. In this week's movie, Steve Gutenberg plays an artist who created the newspaper cartoon that I think is named Cool Joe. It's about a cat who wears a beret. We get very little about what the actual comic is about. He looks a lot like Chester Cheetah. Yes, I genuinely thought it was a Chester Cheetah puppet when it first showed up. Me too. Anyway, what I want to know is, what is the coolest character from newspaper comics? Well, if I remember correctly, this cat's name is Cool Joe, which reminds me of another cool comic book character, Joe Cool from Peanuts. The very coolest. The coolest. I can't imagine anything cooler than a dog in a leather jacket and sunglasses. Actually, maybe this should just be our question. What is the best alternate personality of Snoopy from Peanuts? I think Joe Cool is up there. I'm pretty partial to Joe Blackjack, the famous riverboat gambler. I also like that his nemesis is the Red Baron. Well, only when he's the World War I flying ace. Right. I don't remember the name of that one. My favorite Snoopy bit is probably just when he's constantly working on writing thrillers. There are a ton of comics that just start with Snoopy typing out, it was a dark and stormy night, and Lucy is his editor who's always coming back with comments. I haven't read a ton of Peanuts, and I can't remember the movies very well. It's been a long time. But I do remember Snoopy was the part that I liked the most. There's actually an interesting theory that, like, Snoopy kind of broke Peanuts. Because the series in its early years, in, like, the 50s through a chunk of the 60s, is much more depressing than the friendly version of the 90s that, like, I was just describing with Snoopy the writer. And... One of the big shifts that happens in the late 60s is you learn what Snoopy is thinking. And prior to that, Snoopy was just this weird, weird dog that would sometimes act like other animals. Yeah, I had heard that they were depressing, but I don't really know what they were about originally in the 50s. I mean, the first ever Peanuts comic is two kids sitting on a sidewalk, looking down the street and saying, oh, here comes Charlie Brown. And then there's a panel where they're still sitting on the sidewalk. Charlie Brown is walking past them. And they say, hi, how you doing, Charlie Brown? And then the final panel, the two kids are just sitting alone. And the one goes, I hate him. Like, that's it. It's just like, kids are mean and will lie to you. That is bizarre. Why does everyone hate Charlie Brown? Uh, He's an earnest dork. I mean, it's Charlie Brown is the example of a kid who is struggling with people who think caring isn't cool. Yeah. Oh, poor Charlie Brown. I'm sure that... If he were around, Cool Joe would be able to tell him that you just gotta you just gotta find a way to to do what it is that you love. And if that's getting back together with your boyfriend, then that's what you should do. Cool Joe mostly just gives advice in a very suspiciously jivey as the subtitles I was watching dialect that a white man should probably not be speaking in. But also very similar to Chester Cheetah. Yes. <laughs> that is a very interesting part of the Chester the Cheetah mythos as well. I do think when I was a kid, my favorite, because it was the one that I just owned collections of, was Calvin and Hobbes. As with I mean, Calvin and Hobbes people. is just one of the best ones. What's your favorite Calvin and Hobbes alternate personality? Oh, good question. Hmm. It's not an alternate personality, but I do love just when Calvin is on the sled having philosophical discussions. Okay, I was going to say Tracer Bullet. That's the only one I can remember, too. Spaceman Spiff is the other big one. Oh, right. What an imagination that kid had. Ugh. Chester Cheetah starred in two video games produced for Sega Genesis and Super NES. Chester Cheetah, Too Cool to Fool, and Chester Cheetah, Wild Wild Quest. When did Chester Cheetah get invented? 1986. Wow, he's been around longer than I thought. The most recent Chester Cheetah, I really dislike. 
I have not seen him in a while, but I am reading on Wikipedia that by 2008, he took aim at an adult demographic with a series of ads featuring him in a promotion of orangeunderground.com. Yeah, I don't really get what happened with him. He's a strange character. Yeah. I do love Cheetos, though. Those are a food that I just do not eat ever, but I do enjoy. That is me with Oreos. I never seek them out, but when I have them, I eat like an entire pack. I love Oreos, and Safeway really got me because the line for the self-checkout was right where the Oreos are. And they were on sale, so I was just standing there staring at them. So obviously I bought some. Naturally. I think we're pretty far afield at this point. Yeah, I don't really know how we ended up at Oreos, but uh, there you go. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining one of the most important questions of today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are doing so by looking at the romance in the biggest hit of 1987, Leonard Nimoy's Three Men and a Baby. This was a very different movie than what I was picturing in my head. Yeah? Yeah, I was picturing a lot more of the scenes where they're scrambling to take care of the baby. I thought it was mostly a movie about how men can't take care of kids, but that's... I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is, but that actually ended fairly quickly because it then became a movie about drugs and heroin dealers. And then... (laughs) What else would you expect? Then it went back to just parenthood in general. Yeah, the drug plotline wraps up with a full sitcoms amount of time left. There's like 22 minutes left in the movie. Right. And then that's where you first have the mother appear. The mother, Sylvia, is only on screen for, like, maybe 10 minutes maximum. No way is it that much time. It is, no. It's very strange. So I expected it to be a lot more about the men's efforts to juggle the baby and their love lives, which is why I recommended it for the podcast. But that also is not a huge part of the movie. Yeah, the love lives is really much just the opening montage. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah, (laughs) it's very strange. I kind of love it. This movie basically starts with the theme song for the TV show that this should be made into. Aren't they making it into a TV show? There's some kind of project in development for Disney+. Plus. It sounds like a remake, Ah, uh. but it's not entirely clear. We've talked about so many movies that got made into dumb TV shows that this movie, especially as it wraps up, seems to be screaming for 21-minute installments. Yeah. Actually, I also thought this movie was a Mamma Mia situation where they were trying to figure out which of the men the baby belongs to. So I was surprised when we found out right away who the dad was, because I assumed the reason all three of them were taking care of the baby is because they were all three equally likely to be the father. Nope, they're just best buds. They're just best buds who live together. Yeah, and they constantly have women going in and out. Yeah. The opening montage, to me, was very homoerotic in some ways. Because they're just constantly congratulating each other on the sex in very touchy ways. Where, like, a woman will take the elevator and then they'll come, like, shake each other's shoulders or high five. It was like, the next step would be a butt tap, like, in sports. And then, you know, it was very much just a strange scene that went on longer than I thought it should have, too. I think it's partially they are glad because they've committed to making this mural about 
what cool ladies men they all are. And if any of them stops successfully wooing women, then the mural no longer makes sense. So they are excited that their project can reasonably continue. I really did not care for that mural. No? (laughs) No. It was very much a style of mural that freaks me out. Oh, I like it. It's like caricature, but not. And I thought it was very strange because none of them looked like their mural version very much. Well, the Tom Selleck had the mustache. Yeah, that was basically it. (laughs) That was like the attempt to make the mural look like the people that lived in that apartment. One of them had a mustache. Yeah. Also, the men in this movie did not wear shirts very often. No, well, who needs to? No. There was a lot of chest action happening. They're in a penthouse. It's hot up there. They're closer to the sun. (laughs) Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. Actually, it's worth noting. So in this movie, we have our three men who are played by Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, and Steve Gutenberg. And at the time, Selleck is wrapping up his run on Magnum P.I. He's got like another season left of that. Ted Danson is halfway through the run of Cheers. And Steve Gutenberg had recently been in the Police Academy movies, which were a big success for him. So these are all guys that are well-known, but they're not like the most expensive stars on the planet. And part of the reason for that has to do with the cost of just getting the movie otherwise. So this movie is based on a French movie called Three Men and the Cradle from 1985. It was actually nominated for the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, and it won the César for Best Film in France. But Michael Eisner was CEO of Disney at the time. This is a touchstone movie, which we've talked about before. Disney's imprint for movies not targeted towards kids. And Eisner had been in France to announce the plans to build Euro Disney. And while he was there, he went to a movie theater and he saw Three Men in a Cradle, which he admitted he barely understood because he didn't speak French. But he laughed at some of the physical jokes and he could tell the audience liked it. So when he got back to the country, he told Jeffrey Katzenberg to buy the rights. There was a bidding war then, so they wound up paying a million dollars, which was a ton at the time for the rights to a foreign language movie. And that's why they decided to use TV stars was to balance out the cost of all the money they had spent getting the rights to the movie. Hmm. They're all very good. It is well cast. I will say, multiple times I had to correct my notes when I referred to Jack as Sam. Yeah, I can see that happening. Uh, I don't know if this is a hot take, but Ted Danson has gotten more attractive as he aged. Yes, old Danson is hotter than young Danson. There's just no arguing it. Okay, I didn't know the stance people had on this, but he is much more attractive now than he was as Sam. I absolutely agree with you. I love Sam Malone. Current day Danson is hotter. Yeah. These were all very um, 80s attractive, I guess, Ben. Sure. A lot of hairy chest action happening. And of course, I mean, Selleck's mustache right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that mustache is iconic. It truly stands in a league of its own of mustaches, I'd say. It does. It's a legend. I need to... Are there any pictures of Tom Selleck without the mustache? I do not know. You should find out. While you look that up, I will tell the best Tom Selleck appearance story associated with this movie. If you look at the poster for Three Men and a Baby, with its tagline, They Changed Her Diapers, She Changed Their Lives, you'll see Tom Selleck in the middle actually holding Baby Mary, and there's a big wet spot on his shirt and on his pants. That is not water. That was not planned. The baby in the picture peed all over Tom Selleck while they were taking the pictures. It's interesting how much this movie is about Tom Selleck when he is not the father. Yes. And he is like totally the lead of the sequel. Right. He is the one that seems most into raising this baby and loving this baby and the center of the movie. 
Which I found interesting that they didn't have the father take on that role. I think one of the catches with that is that the father is out of the movie for a good chunk of it. Like, half this movie is really two men and a baby. Because Ted Danson is in Turkey shooting his TV movie. So he is not there the way that Selleck is building up the relationship with Mary. Selleck is the one who goes to the grocery store and gets frustrated trying to figure out what stuff to buy to feed a baby. Right. That was very stressful for me to watch. A lot of their interactions with the baby was very stressful for me to watch because the way they held the real baby that they were dealing with and just all of the happenings kind of freaked me out. I know that there were people on set watching to make sure the baby never got hurt, but a lot of times, like, no one was supporting the head of the baby. And I don't even like babies that much, but it still was things that I know better about with very limited experience. I loved the baby jokes. I loved them attempting to put on a diaper that was too big. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Like, all that stuff's great. And America agreed, because as I said earlier, this was the number one film at the box office of 1987. To give you a sense, here are the movies that it beat out. So, number one, Three Men and a Baby. Number two, Fatal Attraction. No, movies that are just like each other. I need to watch Fatal Attraction. Number three, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Number four, Good Morning Vietnam. Number five, Moonstruck. Number six, The Untouchables. Seven, The Secret of My Success. Eight, Stakeout. Nine, Lethal Weapon. Ten, The Witches of Eastwick. Ugh. I... Love Moonstruck. (laughs) It's great. Have you seen The Witches of Eastwick? No, I want to. You would love it. I am very aware. Doesn't that have Cher in it too? Cher had... It's Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh my god. Cher had two movies in the top ten. Yes, and Jack Nicholson is the male lead, and it's directed by George Miller. Wow. All right, I gotta get on that. It's fantastic. (laughs) Anyway... Oh, it looks like it's on HBO Max. Oh, boom. Amazing. Shout out to The Witches of Eastwick, a great movie that everyone should watch. Um, Speaking of directors, though, this movie, as we said, is directed by Leonard Nimoy, who at the time had only directed Star Trek 3 and 4. It's just hard for me to really wrap my mind around this movie in some ways. I think it's fun and nice. No, it it is fun and nice. I just don't really get, like... Leonard Nimoy directed it, and it stars three TV actors and all of that. And it's a French movie. And it's based out of French. That actually doesn't surprise me as much. Yeah, no, this feels like a French movie. And then it became the top grossing movie of that year. Like, I just don't really understand, but I'm into it. My favorite thing about Three Men and a Baby is that around the time the sequel was coming out, Three Men and a Little Lady in 1990, this conspiracy theory started popping up on the early internet that when Jack, Ted Danson, and his mom are walking through the apartment, you can see this shadowy figure and a rifle. And people decided in that early internet way that they did that it was the ghost of a boy who had been murdered in the apartment and that that's why the apartment was vacant and available for shooting because the family had left after the murder. (sighs) Okay. Do you want to know the explanation? Yes. The shadow is that standee of Jack wearing a top hat, which originally was from a commercial that they were going to show in the movie where he does a dog food commercial. You can see the standee later on. And the family did not vacate the apartment because the film was shot on a lot in Toronto. (laughs) Toronto's been standing in for New York for a while. Yeah. This also, by the way, is an amazing apartment. Yeah, it is very nice. Even though it's a penthouse. So the idea of them just building another room... Didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think the idea is that they would just, like, put up walls differently. Okay. 
Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Or maybe Peter could give up his tape room where he just keeps all his videotapes. I just love how they have such classic movie jobs. There is an architect, there is someone in print media, and there is an actor. Yeah, because they're in a movie. They're three dudes in a movie. Yeah, they're very much three dudes in a movie. Especially because Jack is like a commercial actor trying to make it big. Yeah, so originally we were going to see at least one of the commercials in the movie, but they wound up cutting that. I love commercial parodies. It probably would have been great. (laughs) Yeah, they're fantastic. I was actually just watching a bunch of the Toy Story TV specials today, and some of them at the end had made up commercials for the toys in the specials, which I thought were fun. Oh, like a Buzz Lightyear toy commercial? Yeah, but it was for the ones that they made up for there. So, like, remember in the original Toy Story, there's the Combat Carl that Sid blows up? Yes. So, Combat Carl is in one of these specials played by Carl Weathers, and they made, like, an 80s G.I. Joe PSA-style thing featuring Combat Carl Carl Weathers telling you about the importance of coughing into your elbow instead of your hand. That's fun. Yeah. I can't think about any... Honestly, I can't think about anything with G.I. Joe without thinking of the Cheat Commandos. And Buy all our playsets and toys. It's a reference I want to make a lot, but I have to hold back because I know no one will get it. Even people who know Homestar Runner aren't necessarily going to get the Cheat Commandos reference. Right. It's very specific, but I often think Cheat Commandos rock, rock on and want to say it out loud when I'm ready to leave a place. And I know that it's something I should just keep to myself. If you want a great fictional toy theme song, I highly recommend Toy Story That Time Forgot. And the jingle for the dinosaur toys in it. Buy all our playsets and toys. Do you think there are good Cool Joe toys? I don't think so. When I saw the plush Cool Joe, what I thought about was like the 80s as the peak of Garfield mania. Where Garfield was this massively popular cultural figure. To the point that there were multiple reports of cars being broken into by people who stole nothing. Except for those like Garfields with suction cups that people stuck in their back window. That can't be real. That is real. Oh my god. Did people really care about Garfield that much? Garfield was really popular in the 80s, which I guess was a success for Jim Davis, who, and this is true, made a comic strip about a cat because he realized there were a bunch of comics about dogs, so he figured he could make a lot of money by being the cat comic. Hey, it worked out for him. Yeah, it did. Uh, all I know about John Arbuckle is that he owns the house at the end, one of the last sketches of I Think You Should Leave. Jim Davis. Oh, Jim Davis. Arbuckle is the actual character, isn't he? Yeah, it's a party house. <laughs> Which I thought about seeing Steve Gutenberg's room in here. I was like, oh yeah, this, this room is a total party room. Yeah, it's a party room. This is my party house. The best Garfield thing is Garfield minus Garfield. I love Garfield minus Garfield. Also, just the existence of the Garfield cat in the city or whatever with Bill Murray as the voice of Garfield... Well, there's the movie Garfield, and then there's Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. That's it. And then Gar- <laughs> I think you were confusing that with Babe, Pig, in the City. I was indeed. I feel like Babe, Pig, in the City might be a better movie. Controversial opinion, I'm sure. I have never seen either Garfield movie. Babe, Pig, in the City is deeply strange. <laughs> I know. I just love the idea. My favorite anecdote about that is that when the Metrograph Theater was opening in New York... They got Noah Baumbach to program a double feature for it, and he chose Eyes Wide Shut and Babe Pig in the City because he said he feels the same way watching both movies. <laughs> That's insane. Like those movies. Yes. 
Wow, we should have that double feature. Oh boy. As soon as we can have movie night again, I think that should be our first double feature. Yikes. (laughs) All right, so should we start breaking down the romance of this movie? Such as it is? Such as it is. There's very little. Yeah, so... Every week, we break down the romantic plotline of the movie we're discussing into five points so that we can focus in and not run adrift on weird, unrelated tangents. So, for Three Men and a Baby, like we said, there is not a ton of romance. And again, it's also worth noting that for about half the movie, it's two men and a baby. And also for about half the movie, it's more about heroin than anything else. It's so strange. I like it. And I like the part where they think that the criminals are there to pick up the baby because they think the baby was the package. And then they have to convince the criminals to give them the baby back. And then they realize that the package is heroin. And it's all a big misunderstanding. It's great, but it's strange. And that's all in the French version, too. It honestly makes more sense having been written into a French movie. Fair. I also took so long to place who the guy picking up the heroin was. And it was a CSI actor. Oh, I have never seen an episode of CSI. Yeah, you don't need to. That's kind of how I feel. But of course, Ted Danson, also a CSI actor. Oh, yeah. He took over for a guy who I don't remember. Never mind. Does not matter. Okay. But yeah, that's one of the three different shows from which Ted Danson made all the money. Yeah, he's got money. (laughs) Yes, he has got it. All right. Anyway, so the first point of romance in Three Men and a Baby is that opening montage while the mural is painted and a song called Boys Will Be Boys plays as they make out with women and flirt with people and congratulate each other for their success in flirting. And they have a elevator that opens straight into their apartment, which is kind of fun. So they've made this cool lobby area with this big mural. Right. It is a very cool apartment. It's very cool. And like the kitchen with the glass ceiling. Steve Gutenberg has a party room decorated with cool Joe stuff. This is one of my favorite movie apartments, I think. It's very cool. Tom Selleck has his tape room. Yeah, I would want to live there. Oh, totally. Which two of the three men would you live with to be the third man? I think Peter and Michael. Jack seems to be a mess. I agree with you. I think the movie kind of agrees with us, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also, Jack's buddy is a heroin dealer. Yeah. Jack- Which uh, is not amazing. No, unintentionally gets involved in the drug trade. I don't need that in my home. No. He also is the one that brings the baby in, which is a big negative for me. So anyway, that's our first point. Uh, We've got our guys. Boys will be boys. They're singing. They're not singing, but music is playing as they seduce women. All right. So that takes us to point number two. The movie starts with Peter's birthday party, which is very large. So many women in so little time. He has a lot of friends. Yeah, it's a massive party. But it's also not just his friends because, again, like, Jack's commercial director friend is there. It's just the vague movie party that I don't really understand where, like, a birthday party becomes a social event for the city. Just random people are there and... I don't really get it, but it happens in a lot of movies. I do get the sense that Peter is some degree of a big deal. Yeah, I think he might be as famous as architects can get. Yes. Kind of lives in that space. Which is not that famous, but famous enough to have like a society-ish birthday party. Right. But he does not seem very enthused about the birthday party. No, he does not. He just wants to watch his tapes of the greatest shot in the history of basketball. 
Are they taking bets on a recorded basketball game? I don't think so, but it's hard to say. That said, like, there is a greater likelihood that they haven't seen this game because, like, there's no internet. True. If they didn't watch it on TV, then they missed it. They might not know. The game is from, like, 1970. Yeah. I guess that is kind of fun. I mean, especially now, you could go back and just bet on old games if you have nothing else going on. Yeah. I mean... There are a bunch of sports networks during COVID that have just been playing old games. Yeah, but he does not want to engage in the party. He just wants to hang out with his bros. We do know that he is dating Rebecca, who is played by uh, Margaret Collin, which was fun for me because I've been watching my way through Veep recently, and she plays a newscaster on that. So it's weird seeing a young version of her. But he's dating Rebecca at his party. She compliments the magnificence of his penis. And meanwhile, Peter tells another girl that he and Rebecca are not exclusive, but confirms to a dude that he and Rebecca are dating. We do learn later on that they actually are dating, but seeing other people. Right. That's not just him being a scumbag. And it was very refreshing to see him not just lying about that. Yeah, I appreciated that. It's very just clearly an open relationship. Whereas Michael, on the other hand, strikes out. Right, Michael wants to have sex with this girl, but she's not over her ex, and he has cool Joe tell her that they're going to get back together. Yeah, he's definitely the nerdiest of the three. It's clear that his move is to invite people back to his room to see his comic strips. Right, and he definitely kind of has the most pathetic vibes, but he's not actually like a nerd or that pathetic. No. But he's just less cool in comparison to Peter and Jack. Yeah, well, his roommates are Ted Danson and Tom Selleck. Right. So as the party wraps up, Peter asks Rebecca to stay and she's like, oh, I thought you didn't like sentiment, like people being all romantic. And he said, I can handle it as long as it's disguised as sex. She says no and leaves. So then it's just like Peter and Mike hanging out. Peter's telling Mike he's got to stop acting like the older brother of girls he's trying to get with. And Jack goes to have sex with a lady. And that's point two. We are a solid. And that is point number two. 15 minutes? Jack goes off to Turkey to shoot a TV movie. And he tells them before he goes like, hey... A director friend of mine is going to have a package delivered here. Somebody will pick it up on Thursday. And the next day, when Peter gets home from his run, he discovers that there is a baby on their doorstep. Okay. I have a bone to pick with this movie because Peter comes home from his run. He is wearing short shorts and a tank top. Yeah. He finds the baby. Baby is crying. He scrambles out the door, leaves. We see him leaving in his tank top and short shorts. But then we cut to him at the store and he's wearing a sweater and sweatpants. Did he stop on the way and buy a sweater and sweatpants to wear into the store? Maybe he got them at the store. Like my grocery store has swag for local public high schools that you could just buy. So maybe he felt weird in his running clothes. So he just grabbed those off a shelf and is going to pay for them when he checks out. I feel like putting on clothes is different than opening a bag of chips and paying for it when you leave. Well, yeah, it's weird, but people do it. It's like wearing it out of the store. Yeah, I guess that's a thing people do. Yeah, I have never done it, but I have been told by movies that it's a thing that people do. I've worn shoes out of the store. Oh, I've worn flip-flops out of the store. Yeah, like when I had really busted up shoes and was buying new shoes out of necessity. Yeah, so maybe he's doing that. Yeah, it's still, I don't think it was a thing anyone thought about. No, I definitely think it's just a weird thing. But it really, it really bothered me. I'm I'm really sorry, Mark. I wish I could help you. Nick really didn't care either. I told him this, and he was like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, it matters to me. We'll try to get through this together, okay? Okay. 
All right. So this takes us to point number three, where our gentlemen, our three men, need to balance taking care of a baby who they have named Mary. No, the and also baby is already named Mary. It's in the little note. Did the note have a name? Yeah. Okay, I missed that. I thought they just started calling her Mary, so then I was surprised when Sylvia also called her no, Mary. No, the note says, this is my baby, or Jack's baby, Mary, I am Sylvia, in the note. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So, they need to balance taking care of Mary, and also, living their love lives. Are they always this strange? Yes. Since they got involved with another woman. Like, at one point, Peter, Tom Selleck, is really frustrated by dealing with it all. So he asks Rebecca to come over. He says, oh, it's an emergency. And when she gets there and realizes that he wants her to help him take care of the baby, she's like, no, thanks. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go on a date with this celloist named Jan. From Hungary. Yes. Yeah, that was like the most cringy scene in that Peter is openly like, you are a woman, so you care for baby. And she's like, I don't have a kid either. Why do you think I know anything about this? Yeah. I love how quickly they buy baby books, too. Yeah, I like how dedicated they get to it. Like, they don't just try to keep this baby alive. They, like, very quickly are like, we are going to parent this kid. Yeah, even though they think in their minds that they are done with the baby on Thursday. Yeah, like five days. I like it when he reads Sports Illustrated to the baby. He's, like, reading about boxing fights. It doesn't matter what I say. It's all the tone. Which is true. Baby's young enough not to remember. But, like, I had watched Creed that day, so the boxing thing worked well for me. Anyway, Jack comes back. He learns that the baby of a woman that he had a relationship with in England has been dropped off. And Peter and Michael are kind of annoyed that they've been taking care of Jack's baby. So they leave him for a bit to try to sort it out as they did. Right. So they give him the books, but they don't seem to really help him as much. I think it's clear from their discussions that they're planning to help him. But first they want him to struggle a bit. So they take their dates out to see a musical. Uh, The Henrys. And it's very cute because the whole time Peter and Michael can only talk about Mary. And they call at intermission because they want to confirm that Mary's okay. And Jack does not answer because he has decided the most efficient way to bathe Mary is for them to take a shower together. And they get upset because Jack doesn't answer the phone. So they decide they have to leave. And Michael's date asks Rebecca, were they always this strange? And Rebecca says, yes, since they got involved with another woman. Which the date just kind of accepts too. Seems like a very open era. Or at least you just get the sense that that's how it's going to be with these dudes. Remember that montage from the beginning. So one of my favorite parts of this movie is after this one incident where he didn't answer the phone because he was in the shower, they have a phone installed in the shower. Yeah, because they are going to whatever lengths necessary to make sure they take care of this baby. At this point, they've already established that this is like their baby. They are not getting rid of the baby, though. So it makes sense. Right. Because they've already had the incident where the dudes showed up to get the package and our three men learned that the package is not the baby, it is heroin. Right. So it makes sense that they would do something permanent like that. But at the same time, I don't think phones are waterproof like that. I think it's possible to get a shower phone. Well, the phone installation man thought it was weird too. Look, I don't think they got a shower phone, but I do think it's a thing that existed. Hmm. I phone... In shower. I should put landline. Landline. In shower. I have seen toilet phones in hotels, of course. Naturally. I am seeing pictures of landlines installed in bathrooms so that they can be reached from showers. That's crazy. I feel like they would electrocute. Maybe not. I don't know anything about phones. I shouldn't pretend to. Especially landlines. Yeah, when's the last time you used a landline? 
That's actually a really interesting question. There was a time I used a landline, and it would be the last time I ever used a landline, and I didn't know it. And you didn't even notice it. Yeah. If you remember your last time using a landline, you should tweet at us using hashtag landmine. Nope. (laughs) No, you should not do that. You should use hashtag last land. If you know anything about using a landline in the shower, you should tweet at us with the hashtag shower line. There we go. The best All right. I do. Now, after point three, we have an entire plot line in which they have to trap these heroin dealers so that the heroin dealers will stop ransacking their apartment. While none of that has anything to do no. with romance, so we will not discuss but it. But they also have to, at the same time, prove their innocence. So they come up with a very elaborate scheme. Right, because the police think they're in on the heroin dealing. So they have to get the police to be part of their plot. Right. Anyway. That all gets wrapped up very neatly, which takes us to point number four, which is the men really loving their life with the baby. We have a nice montage of them playing in a park with lots of women flocking to whichever dude has the baby. And we see them bringing the baby around to their workplaces. Like, Peter has a tiny little hard hat so that Mary can come to the construction sites he's working on. And Jack, rehearsing a play, has a sling around his back so he can be in what seems to be a very bad play while also taking care of Mary. I also did appreciate how in these scenes the men were very- not the three men, but in the crowd that was cooing around the baby, men were also there too. Yeah, everyone loves Mary. She's great. it, It did prove one- thing i remember very strongly is in i think 2015 i was in san francisco with my cousin and we saw a dad walking around with his children and my cousin just said uh dads are so hot right now but it seems that dads have always been hot based on this movie i mean that's a thing is like if you're an uncle and you're looking to like pick up women take your nieces and nephews around as long as they're a cute age but basically They care about the baby. Rebecca shows up for a night. Rebecca is underused. I feel like she could have been used better in this movie. She could certainly have been used more. I think she's really fun. This night, she is in bed with Peter when Mary is crying. And so our three dudes all go and sing a goodnight song in harmony to her. And we see Rebecca laughing and really getting a kick out of this. Yes, it's very cute. Yeah, the musical sequence is really nice. But this brings us to point five, which is the last major turn of the movie when Sylvia, the mother of Mary, shows up. I'm saying that I think Mary should move in with us permanently, that we should be her family. Well, I, I think it's lovely of you to offer, Peter, but I, I couldn't let Mary... Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You're right, Sylvia. She's, she's your daughter. She needs a full-time mother. That's why we we, we yeah. think that 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 you should move in too. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Oh, see, yeah. Oh, what do you of think? Of course, Come it's on. better than four. It's better than she... three. Jack's English lover. Yes. Yeah, so they barely know each other. I think it was like a one night hookup. And Sylvia tried to care for the baby in London. She was trying to act and raise the child. She says all of the money she made at her job went to just paying for babysitters and she couldn't handle it and that is why she dropped the baby off with jack but now her family has said they can help take care of the baby so she's gonna go and she takes the baby and she leaves and 
all of the men are sad. Maybe none of them sadder than Peter. Yeah, Peter definitely loves this baby the most. Yeah, Tom Selleck is like really sadly emptying bottles into the sink. Yeah, it's very dramatic. And he's going on to Michael about like, I would never let her go. I couldn't stand to let her get out of my life. And then Jack comes back in and it's like, I want that baby. So they rush to the airport to get Mary, but the plane is already leaving. So they go home all sad. And that's when they find Sylvia and Mary sitting in their mural lobby. And they decide that all five of them will live in the apartment together, screaming for a sitcom. Yeah, it's very much the setup for a sitcom. I would watch the crap out of it. So <laughs> I guess they all live happily ever Yay! after. Just four friends raising a baby together. In the sequel, Three Men and a Little Lady, Peter, Tom Selleck, and Sylvia fall in love with each other. But Peter is too like stoic to say anything about it. And Sylvia basically just wants to be married. So she's dating somebody else from the theater world. And the movie is mostly like about their romance. Maybe we should have It kind of seems like that one would have been more up our lane, but you know, I'm glad we did this one. It's apparently not Me as too. Good, so Yeah, I saw some reviews and it was not as popular to say the there least. There has been noise for a while about doing a third one. In 2010, they confirmed that a movie called Three Men and a Bride was in development. A script was written. There were talks about getting all the guys to sign on. Tom Selleck in particular talked a lot about being excited to do it, but it never materialized. And in 2018, it was reported that a new project was underway at Disney Plus, and the old script was no longer to be used. All right, Will. So after watching this movie, do you find the romances of three men and a baby believable? I have no idea. Probably not, right? I mean, I don't see why not. Maybe? There's no reason that Peter and Rebecca don't work. And no, they're all they're charming great. enough to be, you know, hooking up with women. Okay, so I think that the weirdest thing then is the dropping off a baby with note, which I do think factors into the romance because it is a, a function of the Jack-Sylvia relationship. Yeah. So I guess that'll take it down a peg, but I mean, it's still... Is this movie an eight? I think this movie's like an eight. There's no reason for it not to be an eight. Yeah, Rebecca's pretty great, and her relationship with Peter does make sense. Yeah, they're just two... They're essentially just like two friends that hook up more yeah. than anything. That's the vibe I got. Yeah, and she's very supportive. She helps throw the party. Yeah. All right. Do you... There we go. It's Do an you eight. think that any of the leads, I guess any of Rebecca or the three men are dateable? Uh, yeah, I would say probably all of them, except I don't think I want to date Jack. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think Jack's that dateable. He seems just very invested in his work. I don't think he's undateable. I think he's just not yeah. for me. I think he's just depicted as definitely the most irresponsible of all of the men. Well, he had this surprise And kid. also surprise heroin in his apartment. So, kind of a turn off <laughs> for me. Yeah, that one's not great. So, if you did have to pick one person in the movie to date, who would it be? I think I would probably date Rebecca. Because she seems really okay. fun. Fun to hang out with. She's in on the music world. She likes theater. She throws a good party. Who would you choose? I think I'm going to do Peter. I like him a lot. He's very confident. He cares a lot. He does seem to be the best dad. Yeah, he's clearly the best dad, and I think he does a pretty good job for the most part, especially as he gets better at it, balancing different things in his life. Yeah, he's definitely dateable, just maybe not as much for me. That's fair. Now, many of the movies that we have covered on this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. Do you think that should happen for Three Men and a Baby? I think that having a real baby in a musical in a role this large is irresponsible, but fair. I think... The plot of the movie 
would work as a musical. You have, you know, the three different men. They can each sing their big song in different style, but they can, they can harmonize together. Like, antics abound. But yeah, I just don't think that you could do a musical with a real baby in it. So you would have to have a very convincing fake baby. And that might not work for a movie this much about a baby. I just think that the best medium for this story is a network sitcom. Yes, I agree. Like a classical multi-cam sitcom. But I do think that the characters are like such that they could pull off songs. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think they do pull off their one song very well. That is true. All right. All right. Well, I think that about does it for our discussion of Three Men and a Baby, the biggest movie of 1987. Yes. Next week, we will be discussing a new movie that is premiering on Hulu, I guess, this Friday called Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. I don't know that person. Uh, She was the swiftly murdered mother on How I Met Your Mother. Ah, a show I did not finish. But that is a wild storyline that I've heard about. Yes. Um, So this movie actually, like you said, it's coming out on Hulu this coming Friday. It premiered at Sundance back in January when the film World was normal. And it broke the record for the biggest sale in the history of Sundance because they added 69 cents to the price to get to that point. That's nice. All right. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can always email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help other people to find the show. All right, Will. Based on the copious amounts that you could definitely draw from, what's the best piece of dating advice you got from three men and a baby? As we discussed, in this apartment, Jack, played by Ted Danson, has a standee of himself in a top hat and tails. And what I've learned from this is that silly decorations are not a deterrent. Advice that I will never follow myself. Have a kid. It does work for them. It does work out. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye.